Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 100. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide and have been a full-time outdoor instructor and guide since founding the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School in 1999. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident in the natural world through our bushcraft and guide training semester programs and multi-week canoe and snowshoe expeditions. You can check out the show notes to all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. If you're interested in learning more about our college-accredited and GI Bill-approved programs, visit the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School on the web at jackmtn.com. And check out our online network and digital learning academy at bushcraftschool.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 100. Big milestone for us today. We're really excited about it. The National Association of Podcasters sent a representative out with a with a wreath for us and a, and a hearty handshake. Tim, it's COVID. <laughs> Nobody shakes hands anymore. Okay, that didn't really yeah, happen. Yeah, it didn't happen. No. I knew there was something up. Is there a National said... Association of Podcasters? I just kind of made that up on the spot. Probably. I bet there is. I bet you probably have to pay like a hundred bucks a year to join it and you get like a free web link or something like that. Uh-uh. I love that business model that they're still trying to make us buy into, right? Yeah, we'll give you a web. There was some... Uh, <laughs> three <laughs> seconds in and we're off on a tangent. It was some sporting company, like some big name company, like tourism. And years ago they were like, yes, if you pay us like 300 bucks a year, we'll put a link to you on our website. I was like, are you serious? Like that's... That's your offer? That's the best you can do? And I kind of laughed at the guy. I felt kind of bad about it, but it was a really dumb offer. Anyway, episode 100. Who knew? Who knew we would make it this far? And this has always been the goal. We're not going to quit till we get 100 of these done. So I guess after today, if we get hit by a bus, no harm, no foul, right? Uh, we, we got it done. We said we would we and we did. did it. So uh, it's Monday, week two of the spring semester. Um... Yeah, today we started on shelters and canoe paddles and some other big ticket items, um, which is good. Week one of our long-term programs is always about basic subsistence, right? How do we get people to where they can kind of take care of their basic needs on their own? Then once we get that where people know, you know, they know the drill with the humanure, composting outhouses, they know the drill with cooking, campfires, then we can start doing more big picture things and big crafts. And so today we got them started on paddles. And that's always fun. Yeah, it's sort of a prerequisite to us being able to go out and use paddles. Um, and this time of year, it's still fairly cold, and the water's just above freezing in some cases. So And the air fluctuates between above freezing and being beautiful. Like today, it was 61 degrees, yeah. or below freezing and snowing. Yeah, like two days ago, it was below freezing and snowing. And, and we're now supposed it's to 60. get a couple inches of snow in a day or so. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, April is, you. I think of it almost as a winter month up here. It's kind of a toss-up. <laughs> so years ago, uh, if you've ever guided canoe trips and, and you don't have those kind of crappy T-handled plastic paddles, if you, people are using nice paddles, what they always want to do with their paddle is push off on rocks and push off on the bottom. So years ago, probably about 20 years ago, when we started doing semester courses, 
I figured what's the what's the best way, even though we carry poles and you push off with a pole, but people still want to push off with a paddle. So I figured the only way that I could get them to stop pushing off on rocks with a paddle is that they spend a few days carving their own and then they would baby it and not want to do that. And here we are 20 years later still carving paddles so that people will, uh, you know, not ding up the not ding up the gear, have a healthy respect for it. So. Yeah, having people make their own stuff, then they take good care of it, and if it's not theirs, then they won't. Yeah, that seems to be uh, that seems to be the case. You know, you think about often up here with like group gear and stuff. We kind of try to avoid for exactly that reason, just with cook pots and that kind of thing. Is yeah, well, it's not mine. I'll just leave it out in the rain and yeah. drive over it a few Burn times. It. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So if 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 it belongs to somebody, then they take care of it, and if not, they tend to not take care of it. So group gear is watched very close like on the on trips on the trail all the group gear that i carry in the wanigan i'm responsible for it so i have a bit of a uh yeah i will i will take very good care of it and i will not let it out of my sight sort of a thing so that it doesn't uh doesn't get too beat up right it's so it's treated with respect yeah yeah so we started those today i always figure we make our first canoe paddle out of softwood, um, using hand tools, specifically axe, draw knife, spoke shave, farrier's rasp, and usually finish it with a cabinet scraper. And I always figure if someone's done a lot of woodworking and knows their way around hand tools, maybe six hours, and if then not, could be 10 to 11 hours. So that's how many hours, you know, until we have those things ready to seal so they don't absorb more water. Um, and for some people, this is the first big project, big craft they've ever made, and and it uh yeah it beats up on some people like there's some sore hands some blisters uh, but in the end we figure it's always worth it because people walk away with a knowledge of wood a knowledge of how the tools work and a knowledge of what they're capable of doing yeah and having having the sort of opportunity to use the most basic tools sort of i mean i guess they're not the most basic tools but a, a really low sort of set of infrastructures um, to make something like this means that you leave here and um, the next one that you do with a belt sander or something like that, you know exactly what it needs to be and it just goes a little bit quicker. Yeah. Um, you make all your mistakes slowly with the other tools rather than you know using a, a belt sander or a table saw and cutting the thing in half six times before you figure out what you're doing wrong. Yeah, power tools allow you to make mistakes very quickly and efficiently. Yeah, that's why we. That's why I only use them because if I'm going to make mistakes, I just want to get them over. I want to be good at it. Yeah, exactly. I am great at it. Oh boy. Uh, other stuff. Uh, just heard from uh, Jack Mountain alums and our good friends uh, who are now off of the river. So the end of Phil and Robbie's excellent adventure on the Rio Grande in the Texas-Mexico border. They sent me a photo of them, you know, finishing the trip. Said it was awesome. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I was supposed to be on that trip with Phil. We were supposed to go in January, but then somebody had to go and get COVID-19 and be laid up for a couple of months. And that somebody was me. Uh, so envious and hopefully I'm there for the next one. But yeah, Phil and Robbie's excellent adventure looked like a great time. Uh, wish I was there. Um, yeah, well done, boys. Well done, boys. Uh, a bit of sad news for those of you who've been up here to the field school one of the casualties of COVID-19, the Ashland Diner has closed its doors forever. Uh, maybe somebody will buy the building and open it up again. 
but uh, didn't make it through the pandemic. No, it's a shame. That was the the best diner slogan I've ever seen in the lower 48 states. And it was order it your way, get it ours. And that's just, that says it all, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll definitely miss that place. Um, Yeah, I love little small town places. And one of the beauties of Northern Maine where the field school is, uh, there are a few like chain restaurants in Presque Isle, but other than that, each little town has their own kind of little diner or pizza place, and um, you know it's all it's it's not a giant corporate endeavor. So we still have the Ashland one stop. We still have Mama Lou's and Masardis, uh, but you know we we no longer have Freem's Bar and Grill. We no longer have the Ashland Diner. So uh, too bad. So hopefully hopefully somebody will buy it and bring it back for us. Yeah, having something like that around is a nice kind of pressure release for students here. You know, you spend all week living in camp and cooking over a fire, and that's awesome. That's why people are here, but it's nice to be able to, you know, every couple of weeks go in and get wings or something. And Yeah, even last summer, I remember taking off the Allagash, and everybody was like, we're going straight to the diner, right? And I was yeah. like, yeah, all right. So <laughs> Yes, we are. After, you know, a couple of weeks of doing everything yourself, cooking for yourself, doing everything, to be able to sit down somewhere and have somebody bring you a big plate of like chicken wings, french fries, and a cheeseburger. Yeah, I stand by the thing. Even if it was just like the worst grilled cheese ever that they brought you, someone else having cooked that after like two weeks of paddling, yeah, it would be the best meal you'd ever had it's in your life. Awesome and memorable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But even the worst grilled, I've never, I don't think I've ever had a bad grilled cheese. That's a good point. You know, I don't, I don't think I have. Huh. They're always pretty good. Yeah. Even when they're bad. <laughs> yeah. We're really... Uh, We're making eye contact right now. Trying to figure out where the other one's going and, and with both, like, just kind of spaced out thinking about grilled cheese. I did. I, I genuinely so was did. I. I was trying to think of a type of cheese that would be bad on grilled cheese, and I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't. Which is weird, like, because it's, it's essentially fried cheese. Oh, God. Right? It's like pan-fried. It's not actually grilled. Oh, God. You want to go to Mamou's after this and mm-hmm. get grilled cheese? Maybe. Maybe I do. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, What else current events wise? Uh, We have a new summer program coming up this year, uh, which is our three week summer bushcraft and canoe expedition program. So the the last few years, we've ended up with these summer droughts. And even in a summer filled with drought, there's usually enough water to canoe the Allagash Wilderness Waterway. But a lot of the other rivers without all those giant headwater lakes get too low Um, so when we're running say like a four-week canoe expedition traditionally the way that i run that is we spend the first two weeks on the allagash come back and and spend a day uh packing food again then we go back out and run webster stream and the east branch of the penobscot Um, so my thought process for this year was that we could spend a week in camp doing all of the trip prep skills and and other uh associated tasks like learn how to use axis safely and effectively learn knots learn all the things that we use every day while we're on the trail and then spend those two weeks um on the allagash so that's our three-week thing first week in camp then we go to chamberlain bridge put in and canoe 99 miles north to allagash village um so there's still a couple of spots open on that one um and yeah, just sort of looking for that sweet spot of length for a summer summer program, right? And, you know, we've done four weeks for a number of years. And just to try something different, I said, hey, let's try three weeks. And, 
you know, week in camp, two weeks on the river. Uh, those summer trips on the Allagash are just flat out awesome. It's such a beautiful spot. The campsites are amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you can read about it on the website or just get in touch with us because it's going to be... It's going to be super fun and super Yeah, memorable. and those ones always seem to fill up pretty quick just because it's a it's an awesome experience to get up here. And Yeah, so this year is a little bit odd because we're still not all the way through COVID and, who you know, no one wants to sort of prognosticate and say what it's going to be like in a month with regards to all that and so let alone a few months in advance. Yeah. But uh, who knows? We'll see. As of right now, we've got a, a few people signed up, but, you know, enough to run it. We're definitely going to run it. So if it's something you're interested in doing, you know, getting out and, and you know, hitting the river and, and learning the basics of, of guide training and, the you know, the basics of canoeing and then getting out and using it for two weeks to really lock it in, uh, that's what that experience is going to be all about. And pretty excited for it. Like, those are the... Those are the trips you think about when it's like horrible weather out in the wintertime and you're kind of like stuck inside and you're like, ah, and you think back to like, oh, I remember being on the Allagash and we had like an eight day window where the weather was perfect yeah. and like the fish were biting and the canoeing was great and the campsites are awesome. And, you know, so the, uh, I don't want to say like trip of a lifetime and put all sort of pressure on it, but but they are super memorable. And, you know, I have the good fortune to have to have had a lot of those kind of trips of a lifetime and super looking forward to doing it again this summer so that's coming up uh i think that's in july um i don't remember the dates exactly what are the dates of that uh you know i can't totally bring up he's checking the calendar right now so yeah july right 11th to the 31st so right after you can stay at home for the 4th of july and go to a big cookout hopefully uh, yeah. without because COVID will be behind us in the rearview mirror and then you come up to northern maine and have three weeks of awesomeness yeah and like a perfect window for bugs too the bugs are starting to go down it's not super hot anymore it's yeah nice. it's not that black fly season of june where you go everywhere with a giant Ugh. smoldering coffee can it's coming up so quick yep i actually just bought a uh can of chock full of nuts coffee it's the only coffee that still comes in the metal can so then that'll become a smudge pot for me in a little bit here yeah it's funny that you know i spend winters looking for tim and i both look thinking about you're kind of like planning for bug season and we've had trouble finding metal cans and i found one that's a giant thing of peanuts and i have been eating peanuts nonstop for the last like two weeks trying to empty it and i never thought i would say this but i never want to see another peanut again did, did i ever tell you i met mr peanut like the character I think it was my son. He was pretty little. He was probably like seven or eight years old. He's uh, almost 17 now. But we were in New Hampshire at like the Rochester, New Hampshire Walmart. And the, there was like a giant peanut mobile. And there was a guy dressed up like Mr. Peanut. And I remember looking at my son and he was like, yeah, come on in and see the peanut mobile. And I looked at my son and he's like, no way. No way. <laughs> that I, My little brother, it wasn't Mr. Peanut. It was Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. My little brother, when he was like eight tried to like kneecap Chuck E. Cheese, like ran up behind him and tried to tackle him. And I just remember the... If you're the Chuck E. Cheese guy who play, who goes in the costume, that that's like, that's your job. I just remember like the Chuck E. Cheese guy turning around and putting his hands on his hips and like waggling his finger at my brother. And I, in my head, I wanted like Chuck E. Cheese to suplex my little brother and just like teach him a lesson, but it didn't work out that way. In my head, when I met Mr. Peanut, all I could envision was stealing the peanut mobile and just driving, going on like a crazy joyride. But Some, then they probably, you know, my son would have had to go. The county would have taken him away or something. You know what Andrew has to say about that? No way. <laughs> <laughs>
So our point today, our main topic we're going to get into now for episode 100 is talking about tangible versus abstract education. So uh, the term tangible education was kind of brought to my knowledge uh, 2005, I think it was. Morris Kahansky was doing an East Coast swing and he came to, to our place in New Hampshire where we used to run programs and ran a weekend program and then was at Dartmouth College and then the Snowwalkers Rendezvous. But I remember sitting around, you know, discussing that idea of education where you can physically go out and touch and interact with the things that you're learning about. And I will, uh, you know, the opposite of that is sort of that abstract education. And I remember when my kids were real little, um, them learning about the rainforest, you know, in Brazil or something, thousands and thousands of miles away. Uh, and then I remember picking my son up at school, this little elementary school, and there was a tree out front, a whole bunch of red berries. And it was it was in the prunus genus. It was a cherry tree of some sort. But I remember one of the teachers who was teaching about the uh, about the rainforest was like, oh, don't go near that tree, kids. It's poisonous. And I'm like, well, you know, you're you're teaching about something that's very far away that is just a level of abstraction for these young people. And yet the thing that's right in the schoolyard, you don't know anything about and are giving bad information about. And that was sort of, you know, kind of kept me, kept it in the forefront of my mind about just this idea of, of things being tangible, about being able to go out and sort of touch and smell and, get, you know, get your other senses involved. Yeah, and it, there's an interesting um, kind of thing in that where, you know, up here we often talk about... Uh, you know, when we're talking about um, sustainability and stuff and we talk about this whole idea of displaced impact or uh, local impact versus displaced impact where you're as, as opposed to like minimal impact. So, for example, yeah, like yes. leave no trace is not minimal impact camping. It's displaced impact right. camping. And so so it's interesting to me to think about that as well is that, you know. As a kid, I remember learning all about the Amazon rainforest and learning about the Amazon.com rainforest. I'm just going to power through this. Um, <laughs> the uh, you know the African savanna and stuff like that, and then having these ideas of you know these are things that are that are going away and you need to take care of them, but never ever learning like the local stuff in any real way and and having that same kind of like attachment to your local ecosystem and so this whole idea of sustainability is also like this crazy displaced thing that people think about like save the rainforest but then yeah you know we're in northern maine where it's this beautiful ecosystem but they log it like crazy you know it's yeah i read about other parts of the world where they're like oh the, the plan to battle climate change is to plant like yeah a million trees and i'm like well they're they you know, cut around, that this afternoon. Around here, they're still cutting them down <laughs> yeah. as fast as they can to make yeah. lumber. It's just it's just super interesting. Like this whole, you know, we're talking about this tangible thing, and that is, it's something that ties you to exactly what you're doing right then and there, and makes it stick with you. So, how do we implement that on a practical level? So, one of the, if we think about how we study natural history here, um, we started on our plant studies for the semester last week and fish studies. So, for plants, we will be pressing. Uh, specimens of the plants while we're in the field and then we record it in a certain manner um, the whole system I learned as a student on Boyd Schaefer's Flora of South Central Alaska course in 1996 at Kenai Peninsula College in Alaska and Boyd was awesome and a great teacher and I learned a ton and there you go Boyd I know you're in the great white beyond now but uh, you know the lessons you taught are still being 
learn from so <laughs> the you know the the influence of a good teacher is timeless and, and goes on forever you know think about uh you know plato and aristotle we're still talking about the things they did yeah, so mrs petrowski mrs petrowski my first grade teacher we're still talking about those yeah. lessons um but <laughs> so the beauty of approaching plants like that instead of like pulling something randomly out of a field guide is that we can always go back to where it grew on the land and say here here's the habitat here's the plant and it's a physical link to bring you back to the landscape so uh, another example say for fish you know we're not going to be studying like bonefish or tarpon or things you know saltwater bahamas we're studying brook trout right now because that's the majority of the game fishing that we do up here this time of year is for wild uh, brook trout in this part of northern maine which is great so just the idea that it's a tangible link back to the landscape that everything isn't just an abstract exercise that exists in your mind yeah so we you know we started this off talking about how students are making canoe paddles now and um, whenever we kind of intro this process to them, I talk about this book we have in the in our library here, which is it's making canoe paddles, or it's oh David Gidmark's book. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in the front of that, are, he has a whole bunch of pictures of all these crazy different cross cultural canoes. Yeah, what different cultures have used to push their boats around. Right, and so I, I always bring that up because I you know we're talking about how you could go in to that book and pick anyone at random, and just because you thought it was cool or whatever that reason was. And it wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be super useful here because it was made for a totally different ecosystem. So Out of different raw materials. Yeah, exactly. So we kind of, as we're starting them into that, even, even the design of the paddle they're using um, is, is tied to this exact place. It's made very specific to here. And that means that, um, you know, they will learn more about it by it working well because it's, um, something that's worked here forever than if they made uh, something totally random and had to like fudge their way through it because they made a Greenland kayak paddle instead of a yeah out of driftwood from the yeah, beach exactly so we have had the luxury this is semester or long-term program number 51 here um, so in discussing this idea or this approach to education with a lot of students in the past one thing I hear regularly from students was you know I didn't enjoy school I didn't like academics um, and often I think uh, that was because things were so abstract and people will say oh I didn't like school but I really like this style of learning right because at the end of the day just about everything that we're learning we can go put our hands on you know we can we can smell it we can taste it we can see it we can touch it it's all right there it's not something that is you know supposedly out there somewhere over the horizon in the rainforest or in the deserts of the southwest or somewhere really far away so there's something kind of magical about being able to go out and physically touch and interact with those things that we're learning about and that's that's the tangible intangible education um you know being able to sort of to to touch it you know to 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 make it real yeah and interact with it you know we were talking about plant studies and you know tim mentioned getting all those senses involved and you're kind of you know maybe it's a plant that you use to make a shelter like their students did today or it's something that you can eat and so you're developing this this relationship with whatever it is you're studying rather than it being you know, I, list, I listened to this podcast earlier this weekend about jaguars in Belize, and it was awesome. It was super fascinating. But at the end of it, my, it, it, it doesn't affect my life at all other than knowing some trivia about jaguars. Like the cars? Yep. 
The Jag. What is the, like the, like the, probably like the president. I don't know anything about Belize. They have a president, a prime minister. And a prime minister, for those of you who don't know, is a minister that can only be divided by one in itself. What are you talking about? Who had the Jaguar car? Somebody fancy with a lot of cash. <sighs> oh, were you talking about the animal? Nope. I was going to say, because animals like big cats shouldn't be driving cars. <laughs> I don't care what kind of car it is. Anyway, the point, the point I was trying to make here was that... Now in my mind, I have a picture of a Jaguar driving a Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, so, so yeah, it was, it was super interesting and a fascinating thing to listen to. But at the end of the day, it doesn't affect my life at all. And so having these studies where, you know, we get into mammal studies and the one that I always encourage people to start with is a red squirrel. And most people think oh, it's, a, it's a red squirrel. It's not that interesting. But the more you study them and you they are everywhere up here and they are they will interact with you whether you want them to or not. Um, they'll sit in a tree and scream at you. And so by doing these studies and starting to understand why this animal is doing that, you start to develop this. Again, I, it, it's nothing other than a relationship with this particular species that you, you can, you'll have that forever where you just, you know, you see an, a red squirrel and screaming at you and you kind of look around and wonder, am I sitting near its babies? Am I, why is this animal doing that? And that's something that. And the more you learn about red squirrels, sometimes they'll just do it just to be jerks. Yeah, cause but, which just is so amazing to me, like rather than, <laughs> rather than there, there is no reason. They're just, sometimes they're jerks. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that like that information will stick with you forever. Whereas if I went and did, wrote a paper on jaguars I'd have it as long as I wrote the paper and then it would go away. Yeah. Because it's part of your life. It's tangible. Exactly. exactly. And, you know, this may ring a bell if you're a long time listener to this podcast. It was a while back, but, you know, I think the title of one of the episodes was All Bushcraft is Local. Yeah. And, you know, all all local knowledge is tangible. You know, like mm. all these things, it, they're sort of uh, shades of the same color. I don't know. They're all part of the same thing. I'm struggling here for a metaphor. I can see that. Um, a while back, I think in the library here somewhere is a book called A Field Guide to the Familiar. And mm. we sort of have this thing that we put more value. Like if I'm a bird watcher, I want to get these exotic species that maybe fly through this area one day a year. But if I'm interested in learning about, you know, life on the land there, interacting with the land, maybe I want to learn more about the species that are here all year round that I see. But because they're commonplace we don't put a lot of value in knowing and interacting with them, right? Like, you know, the the idea of like a herring gull, right? I didn't say seagull because I knew you were going to lose it. No, 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 no. I, But imagine I a seagull. Like if you only saw a seagull once and it wasn't like hanging, yeah, your eyes are twitching. <laughs> and it wasn't, uh, you know, flying around like a dumpster or something, stealing french fries behind a McDonald's. You'd be like, look at how beautiful that bird is as it flies. They're amazing. They're but, an amazing creature. But, you know, fami are. familiarity breeds contempt. So because it's commonplace, we tend not to value it as much. But you know, a, a tangible approach to education says, hey, let's let's really investigate these things that are in our front yard that we can reach out and touch and interact with. And that's just a different exam. It's just a different approach than, you know, taking that more abstract. What are the rare things that I'll probably yeah. never see? Absolutely. Right. And, and again, like we've just in speaking with students and debriefing with people over the years, we've just had a lot of positive feedback that people really like that approach and it's not held it's not very commonly practiced no. right like academia these days is all about abstraction and um you know i get into this discussion uh um 
and you, maybe you had it as well if you're older or if you're in school now, just that idea about most people tend to either like uh, or, or do better either in algebra in high school math or geometry. And I liked geometry. I never liked algebra because algebra was more abstract. And I like geometry because I can walk outside and I can like use geometry. I can use it to measure how high a tree is. I can use it to measure how far across like a, a gully is, things like that. I can, you know, figure things out. I can use it to make, uh, you know, a three, four, five triangle to see if the thing I'm building is square, all those things. And I always liked that about it because even though it was abstract, I could make it tangible. Um, Whereas algebra, not so much. You can solve for x or f of x. You can make it tangible. It's just way more complicated to do. But then they turned not... f of x into that TV network, right? So the f of x network. So when you're solving for it, it's like a, it's like some sort of a like a TV network thing. You know what? I, I don't even know. The most frustrating thing about your jokes is that you jokes. you shoot yourself in the leg while making a good point. What are you talking about? Uh, well, you were trying to use algebra to find a point on a line, and then you started... What? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But my point is uh, that... <laughs> we're back, folks. Some people like Episode algebra. 100. Some people like geometry, and geometry I always was more drawn to because it's the more tangible, the more like, yeah, you can go out and see it, feel it, walk through it, which was, you know, less abstract. Um yeah, there's not, like, I mean, you said it before, there's not a lot of value put on that style of learning in the modern world. Um, you know, there's starting to be more of it, but it is a, it is an awesome thing to see um, students come up here and have, have had a really horrible experience with education because they're just being told to memorize facts. And then as soon as you connect it to something that they get to see or touch or smell every day, all of a sudden... For some magic reason, their brain just holds on to it. Yeah. Because that's how human beings are supposed to operate. That's how, I don't know, for the last 349,000 years, yeah. we've transferred information. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like this weird facts and abstraction mm -hmm. as opposed to stories and tangible. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's kind of a new upstart idea. Uh, I blame the Romans. I do. I still haven't forgiven them for what they did to my people. <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but I heard our friend Blake Towsley say it once, and I loved it. Who are your people? To... <laughs> I'm a mutt. I don't really have people. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I feel like the, uh, I think we kind of covered that. Yeah, we should stop. But the idea of tangible versus abstract education. So if you've made it this far down the rabbit hole with us today, thank you for joining us for episode 100 big milestone yeah and uh this is also this is also semester number 10 for me September number 10 yeah i've that's... been up here for 10 semesters now which is a crazy thing to think about that is a long that time that is a long time it feels longer every time we talk yeah it, it must it must be like 100 years at this point right it, it must be, it must be. <laughs> um so yeah you know the drill if you enjoyed this podcast or you like them share it with somebody uh yeah so the one more thing before we go is that we are um kind of getting the i mean this is the podcast but we're also getting the ball rolling with like more video and stuff like that so stay tuned for all of that because we're going to be doing our best to keep you guys informed about what's going on in the semester and all that stuff as we go and yeah. i'm saying that to hold me to it more than anything else learn a little bit about the field school and kind of what we do uh, and you can always find this i'm not sure where you listen to this probably through an app somewhere but if you go on the internet browser 
web thingy and you type in blog.jackmtn.com. That's our media page. And you can just go to jackmtn.com if you want to learn more about our programs. But on our media page, we've got our blog, our podcast, and our videos. And you can check all that stuff out there. They're on a lot of those other social platforms as well. Like some of them are on YouTube, not all of them. And again, if you really want to interact with us, go to our private online community at bushcraftschool.com. And there you can, you know, interact with us and take a free online course and uh, yeah, just kind of get more information and, and have more fun delving deeply into the things that we discuss here on the podcast. So yeah, if you enjoyed this, share it with somebody. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.